second lesson this morning is, is Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. The title of this is, Life is Hard for the Faint-Hearted. It is just like a man going abroad who called his household servants together before he went and handed his property over to them to manage. He gave one $5,000, another 2000 and another 1000 according to their respective abilities. Then he went away. The man who had received $5,000 went out at once, and by doing business with this sum, he made another 5000 Similarly, the man with $2,000 made another 2000 But the man who had received $1,000 went off, and he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Some years later, the master of these servants arrived and went into the accounts with them. The one who had the $5,000 came in and brought him an additional 5000 with these words. You gave me $5,000, sir. Look, I've increased it by another 5000 Well done, said his master. You're a sound and reliable servant. You've been trustworthy over a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of much more. Come in and share your master's rejoicing. Then the servant who had received $2,000 came in and said, You gave me $2,000, sir. Look, here's 2000 more that I've managed to make by it. Well done, said his master. You're a sound, reliable servant. You've been trustworthy over, over a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of many. Come in and share your master's pleasure. Then the man who had received the $1,000 came in and said, Sir, I always knew you were a hard man, reaping where you never sowed and collecting where you never laid out. So I was scared, and I went off and hid your $1,000 in the ground. Here is your money intact. You're a wicked, lazy servant, his master told him. You say you know that I reap where I never sowed and collect where I never laid out. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and when I came I should at any rate have received what belonged to me with interest. Take his thousand away from him and give it to the man who now has the ten thousand. For the man who has something will have more given to him and will have plenty. But as far as the man who has nothing, even his nothing will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where he can weep and wail over his stupidity. Uh, Tom Cummings has read in your presence this, re this parable of our Lord Jesus Christ that has to do with the use of what is entrusted to us. It was in the last week of our Savior's life. And a great many things were bearing in upon him. He knew that the moments were fleeting away for his earthly presence with his disciples. And so he had to take advantage to impart to them at this particular time precisely those things which they needed most to hear and which they could make the best possible use of. And so there are many parables that he tells that have to do with vigilance. Many stories that he tells are very applicable to the graduating seniors who enter on to 
a different stage in their lives now. Our blessed Lord spoke this parable that has to do with sums of money. He spoke about a large shareholder, a, an investor, who was going away perhaps to look at another estate. And maybe in this the Lord Jesus is referring to his own leaving of the disciples and to his ultimate second coming again. And so he, he tells the story of this businessman who calls to him three of his servants. He looks them over, judges their abilities, and to one he gives the sum of $5,000. To another he gives the sum of $2,000. To another the sum of $1,000. Now this is a rough translation of what is meant by a talent of silver or gold such as would have been given to these men. And then he takes his journey to go away where he will be gone for a long time. And then one day he will come back. And when he comes back again, they are to give an accounting of what they have done with what has been entrusted to them. A servant is really known in his master's absence when he is away from them. The master is away from them. What do they do? with what has been committed to them. Well, the first servant was one who was quite enterprising. He had been given a large trust, that of $5,000 or five talents of gold, and he took it and he doubled it. And so when his master returned, he was able to present to him, instead of the original five, $10,000, $10,000, he had made five more with the five that had been entrusted to him. To the second, he presented to his master exactly double the gain. He presented him 2,000 more dollars for the 2,000 that had been entrusted to him. But the third of these servants is churlish. The third comes back whimpering. He takes the original thousand dollars that had been entrusted to him. He puts it down with grumbling and complaining about his master. And he says to him, I know that you're a hard man. And so what I did was I was afraid of you. So I took your thousand dollars and I buried it in the ground. Here it is. Now, you would always expect the Lord Jesus really to be on the side of the underdog. The side on the person with only one talent. The side on the person of this poor man with just $1,000. But rather here, he is tremendously severe. He rebukes him because he had misused the opportunity that he had. And he rebukes him with sternness. And hereby, he is teaching a lesson. A lesson which the people of Israel needed to know that God Almighty had given to them the benefits of the law and of the prophets and of his mighty acts down through history. And Jesus, Jesus came teaching that God was working his purpose out in history, that he was going to break out of that old wineskin, that he was going to break out into new territory that he was going to break out, God was, through his son, the Messiah,
and reach hated Samaritans, publicans and harlots, people like Zacchaeus, people like the woman who came and wept at his feet, people that the Pharisees in their rigid narrowness would have detested, that he would even reach out to those Greeks that came in that last week of his life up to Philip, one of his disciples, saying, Sir, sir, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. He wants to see us. The man who comes to the Christian is looking to see in the face of that believer the Lord Jesus Christ in word and in deed. And so he comes here. Now the key to a proper understanding, I think, of this man's plight, this steward who had been lazy, is when he says, I was scared, as Tom read to you a moment ago. I was scared. So I took it and buried it in the ground, the $1,000. I did nothing with it because I was scared. Now that gave me the title for today about scarecrows. Because there is a great parable in a scarecrow. Now lest uh, you think this is unworthy of an occasion such as this, Thomas Carlyle is very much like baccalaureate sermons. Everyone who went through high school has to read him, but nobody remembers what they read. Uh, no, no one remembers what they read. Well, Carlyle had a philosophy about scarecrows that was very interesting. And Carlyle tells some interesting things that others have picked up on. One of the greatest preachers who ever lived came from Donald Mitchell's part of the world originally. And he preached down here in Anderson Auditorium. And when he was introduced, Frederick W. Borum, on the platform at Anderson Auditorium here in Montreat, the man who introduced him said, this is Dr. Frederick W. Borum, whose books are on all our shelves and whose illustrations are in all our sermons. And this is true because he had a great illustration about a scarecrow. And this is what F.W. Borum said. He said after reading Thomas Carlyle that one day he was driving by a field that had been newly sown in the spring of the year. And out there in the field, someone had taken a broom and attached a cross piece to it and had put an old split-tailed frock coat on it and a top hat and some white gloves. And he said it was right in the middle of a strawberry patch. He said it was up in the time of the year when strawberries are their plumpest and most delicious and just oozing juice. Now he said the funny thing about it was that there was a big fat blackbird sitting up on one of those crossed arms of that scarecrow. He was sitting right there and he had eaten so many strawberries that he couldn't hold anymore. And he was just sitting there happily digesting his food and waiting till he got hungry again so he could fly back down and eat some more. Sitting on this horrible scraggly effigy of fear. Now said Borum, I observed that there were other blackbirds. Some of them were sitting on top of a telephone pole and the wires that ran away from it. Others were a little closer on a fence post. 
Some of them would fly over toward these strawberries and then dart back again when they looked at the scarecrow. And do you know what Borum said? He said fear was keeping them out of a delicious feast. Now the one blackbird that sat there on that effigy had overcome his fear. He had overcome his fear and so he was able to satisfy a hunger. And then Borum says this. He said, you know, if I were a blackbird, I would fly up on top of a church steeple and I would look in every direction to find a scarecrow. And when I found a scarecrow, I would fly straight to that scarecrow because I'd know there'd be something good to eat around there. <laughs> well, now let me say this to these graduating students. You're about to fly out into a world where there are a lot of scarecrows. There's a big one up there in the yard at the White House today. There are a lot of people who are afraid Afraid about our country, afraid about government, afraid to enter into politics. And the scarecrows are there, saying if you have any virtue, if you have any honesty, don't get near this place, stay away. Well now, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have those qualities which ought to be brought to places of high authority in government and which ought to be used for the glory of God in public office. And don't be afraid of it. Pray about it. And if God leads you to that place, then go. Go and enjoy the delights of your Lord in serving him in a place of service in government. Then let me say this. Today, in the United States of America, there is a moral crisis because there is a spiritual crisis. Look at the breakup of the home. What if a scarecrow were placed up in the yard of all the homes where there is divorce or divorce proceedings? Think of it. One out of every three marriages in the United States of America today ends in divorce. There are some people who have disregarded God's moral standards as far as integrity are concerned and have been corrupt in government. There are people who have disregarded his moral standards and have advocated an attitude towards sex which is contrary to the Bible and Scripture. And so the home is broken up. This fundamental institution which is essential to the well-being of any nation is rapidly being eroded and destroyed by a bunch of lascivious playwrights, critics, and preachers who have advocated not a message from God, but a lesson from Satan, which has lulled people's moral consciousness to sleep and has led them into the havoc that we see in the breakup of the home. You know, when I stop to think about success in life, and some of you parents today can look at a son or a daughter who will be graduating today. If you have a son or a daughter who because they have seen in your life a godly example and have learned from you some virtues of integrity and character and have been inspired by you to diligently work with the opportunity they have, 
Your income may not be the greatest in the world. No one may ever read your name in the paper. But you sit back and bless God and praise his holy name for the gift that he has enabled you to see come about in your own life through the beauty of a son or a daughter. So they're scarecrows. Scarecrows in the American home. The dissolution of it is frightening. But this should not scare us away. We should go right back. Building marriages upon faith in God. Marriages fail because people fail, and people fail because they will not yield themselves to God and to his laws. The 12th chapter of Romans, the first verse, tells us that we are to present our bodies, not just our souls, but our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. If my body belongs to God, and it does, and it's been redeemed by Christ and is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then I as a Christian have a great responsibility to God. And that responsibility is to be faithful and true in marriage vows, faithful and true to my responsibility in my home. And I would say to young people, don't only not be afraid of going into government because of the scarecrow that is there, but don't be afraid of entering into a marriage under Christ with God being in that marriage with you and solidifying and building a home based upon trust and faith in him and love together in him and raise up children to the glory of God. And you will have made a great contribution in this world. Even though you may plug away 40 hours a week in a factory or a mill. Or be teaching or working in some place like that. You'll be helping to build the kingdom of God. And a wise steward of the gifts that he has made to you. Thirdly let me say. That there's a scarecrow out in the churchyard. There's a failure, I think, in the White House because there's a failure in the church house. The preachers preach situational ethics and some people in the White House practice it. And this got us in trouble. It'll get anyone in trouble. Now, what are we to do? What about the church? God bless old Dr. Bell. Yesterday he stood here and he preached a sermon. And he spoke about a return to bedrock Christianity based upon the revelation of God in Christ as revealed in the pages of Holy Scripture. Whenever the church cuts itself loose from those moorings, it floats about upon a sea of speculation. My pastor, when I left to go away to college years ago, handed me a Bible and in the front of it, he wrote that passage that President Vaughn quoted from yesterday from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall bring it to pass. What do we have? We have the same identical gift. 
We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has brought to us. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have the gift of the indwelling Christ. We have the scriptures, the fellowship of committed Christian people who by God's grace can walk with us in life and encourage and help us to live for him. And so I don't need to be afraid of that scarecrow in the church or the people who talk about those who are false there. God will hold me responsible for what I have done with what he has given to me, with what I have done with what he has given to me. This man failed, this third man, because he was afraid. He was afraid. He thought God had cheated him, or that the Lord had cheated him in not giving him more. And he was jealous and envious. And so he was unable to achieve. He took it out and buried it. I guess my favorite academic story uh, comes from England. Just a little over 300 years ago, the Lucian professor of mathematics at Cambridge University did a distinctly unusual thing. He had a pupil, one of his students, who was such a gifted mathematician that he felt that this student of his was better equipped to sit in the chair of mathematics at Cambridge than he was. And so he went to the Board of Regents, and he resigned as professor of mathematics on the condition that his pupil be appointed in his chair. Now that particular professor of mathematics who resigned was a great mathematician by a 17th century standard. His name happened to be Barrow, and the story is quite true. But his student happened to be Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> and he was admirably equipped to fill that chair. And when Neil Armstrong left his footprint on the surface of the moon and looked back at it in the lunar dust, he was showing the wisdom of that decision made at Cambridge when that professor of mathematics did what he did because of what Sir Isaac Newton had been able to contribute in his studies of the uh, field of gravity and the influence of the moon upon the tides of the ocean. So, there are scarecrows. What are we going to do? Fly away? No. Let's go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's learn from him. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Let us learn for him. Let us not be jealous of another person's ability or talent, that he made better grades than we did, or that he can do more outstanding athletic feats, but let us look at what gifts God has given to us, and let us take those gifts and work as earnestly as we know how with those gifts for the purpose of bringing glory, glory to his name. May I conclude? 
by telling you of a great Scottish covenanter who was led out one day in June to be hanged because of his faith in Jesus Christ. There was a big scarecrow there, the scarecrow of death. And this Scottish covenanter, when he was led to the scaffold to be hanged, shouted out to all of the crowd down below, Do not be afraid for me, he said, for I have gotten me Christ, and Christ hath gotten me the victory over death. I have gotten me Christ, and Christ hath gotten me the victory over death. The specter, the fearful scarecrow of death, which all of us must face, is but a shadow, as this choir sang so beautifully. The Lord leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. One of my favorite preachers' wife died in the spring of the year. Outside the city of Philadelphia, they'd moved out in the country during her last illness. On the day of the funeral, they had to drive some distance to the cemetery. It was a, the first day of spring. All of the flowers were blooming. And yet, his heart was full of sadness. Sadness because of his own great loss not because he did not know of the victory that had been won for his wife and the mother of his four children. They got to a certain traffic intersection where there was a man out stopping the traffic to let a big earth-moving machine by. It was a huge, huge thing. And when it came in front of their car, the shadow of that big machine fell over the car. And one of the little grandchildren looked at it and said, oh, isn't that the biggest truck you've ever seen? I never saw anything like that. And this man said that it was though God gave him a lesson for his children. He said uh, to this grandchild, he said, would you rather be run over by that thing itself or by its shadow? And one of the little children said, well, a shadow can't hurt you. And the father said, well, this is what happened to Jesus Christ. Death ran over him, but God brought him back from the dead in victory and power. And as a result of that, the only death that will ever fall over you is the shadow of death. And that shadow fell across your mother but it did not destroy her. Your mother lives on, and that shadow did not hurt her. We read in the scriptures that after Jesus rose from the dead, he told his disciples to go back into Jerusalem. And they went back into Jerusalem, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, to preach out and to live out 
the life of Christ in the world of men. We who today take a new step in our experiences in going forward may go forward with this risen living Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit facing all of these specters that exist in society and in the home and in the church and in our own personal reckoning with God and be unafraid because Christ has gotten for us the victory. Our conference hour speaker today has been Dr. Calvin Thielman, chaplain at Montreat Anderson College and minister of the Montreat Presbyterian Church. Your prayers for this radio ministry are requested. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions regarding today's message, you may address them to the Montreat Church, Post Office Box 278, Montreat, North Carolina. The zip code is 28757.